Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from SafeAdeen.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, SafeAdeen.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeaddeen.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. What is Bitcoin's utility and the value of Bitcoin? What is the price that it should be traded at? Well, we're here to discuss these topics with three very prominent guests, experts in their respective fields with various viewpoints. Dr. Saifdeen Amous, independent educator at Saifdeen.com, who is also the author of The Bitcoin Standard, Hong Fang, CEO of OKCoin, and Steve Hankey, professor of applied economics at Johns Hopkins University. Gentlemen and lady, welcome to the show and... Dr. Amus, it's your first time. Welcome to Kitco. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be on. It should be a fun uh, discussion about Bitcoin. I know you have all very good opinions and viewpoints on how people should perceive Bitcoin 
and the role that it plays for investors, I like to start with Bitcoin's utility and its intrinsic value, because that is a foundation of this discussion. Um, Hong, ladies first, you <laughs> have written an essay about uh, this very topic and why you think Bitcoin should reach $100,000. Is that still your price target, Hong? Short term, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So when I, I think it's interesting when uh, you mention intrinsic value uh, and the, uh, the, the keyword util- utility, I think those two are very important to understand when we talk about a uh, quote-unquote an asset class. Um, to me, Bitcoin is a very special asset class. It's not just a asset class because when we talk about asset class in the traditional financial world, it is a asset class that, you know, it's a, it's a type of asset that generates certain cash flow or be valued in uh, fiat money, i.e. US dollar or any other fiat money uh, that you can speak of. But Bitcoin, to me, is, a, is not falling into that category. It is this very special asset class that actually provide the central utility as a best that we have as a uh, uh, store of value, the best store of value that we have ever had in the human history. Um, that, that is what makes it very special. I think we talked about uh, this previously on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason that Bitcoin is very special and unique and compared to gold and many others historical store of value format that we've seen historically, it is very scarce, right? It is divisible. It is durable. It is fungible for many other things. But the most important thing about Bitcoin is that it takes out any third party uh, from the creation and management of this asset and make it very censorship resistant, make it free from inflation, which has been the most, um, uh, uh, the biggest uh, quote, quote unquote evil, if you will, that has plagued our financial system and our currency system historically. So that's how I've been uh, viewing it uh, compared to many other asset classes out there. It's very special. You cannot think about it as a comparable to stock or uh, uh, bonds or whatsoever, because it's, it shouldn't be, uh, think of in that, sesh, uh, in that uh, framework. Okay. Um, I'll let uh, each of you make a statement and then you'll have a chance to respond to each other. Uh, Dr. Amos, you've talked about Bitcoin and how it relates to Austrian economics and its role for, uh, for investors and econom- economists alike. Can you elaborate on this concept? I think, uh, you know, the foundational concept of Austrian economics is the idea that value is subjective. And I think the term intrinsic value makes really no sense in the context of economics. In the context of finance, it's used to, do, to denote the value of the discounted expected future cash flow of a cash-yielding asset. But that's, not, uh, th- that's different from how we think about value as, uh, in economics because you know, a lot of things don't yield cash flow and they're still valuable. And so the value of anything comes from somebody valuing it. And that is subjective. There's no right and answer over how much a person can, can value something or they should value something. It is entirely subjective. It is down to the person themselves. So there's, there's no economic value without a human being making the valuation consciously from the scarcity of the good that they're valuing. And so for me, Bitcoin has proven itself to have a value on the market for 12 years and the market continues to exist liquid in a very liquid form. I can understand how somebody won't see value in Bitcoin for themselves. 
But I don't understand the idea that we can dismiss a $1 trillion of asset being held by people all over the world as not having value. Well, somebody is, you know, somebody is holding all of the $1 trillion of Bitcoin that are out there today, and they could be selling it, and they could be buying things, and they could be buying a lot of things for for a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin, but they choose to hold the Bitcoin. So there clearly is value from it, from holding Bitcoin. And that's, that's, I think, what economists should be asking themselves. Why? Okay. Excellent. And Professor Hankey, last time we spoke about Bitcoin a few weeks ago, you made the rounds of the internet by saying that, I quote, Bitcoin's fundamental value should be zero and it's going to eventually death spiral down to its fundamental value. Can you elaborate on this view? Well, first of all, I, I did say that. Uh, and, and the fundamental value of something is very different from the market value. The only objective value of anything is the market value. And the market value is, as a good Austrian, I can conclude the summation of the subjective valuations of the market participants who are engaged in buying and selling whatever it is in the market to determine its objective market price. So these are just classifications. And, and terminologies that are used in economics. So the market value of Bitcoin is what? 55,000 today or something something around that. I haven't looked over the last hour, so it moves around. What do you have there, David? Do you have it on the computer? Yeah, something like that. It, it's, not, it's something around 55,000. That, mm-hmm. that is the market price. That is the objective value. And that is determined by subjective valuations of market participants. And, and that's clear enough. The fundamental value of something is, and, and at the limit, whether it's generating either utility of some sort or uh, free cash flow, a, a stock, we value that by looking at its free cash flow or projection of that. And that's added together by all the analysts, all their subjective valuations, and they're buying and selling and recommending, and ultimately you get a market price, which is the objective value. I think the reason that I think this is the, the, the fundamental value is important to keep in mind is that there will be, there's free entry into the crypto space. And, and Bitcoin, I think, has... Uh, inferior characteristics to what could be superior cryptos that will eventually drive it out uh, of the marketplace. And when that happens, they, yeah, the the supply is completely inflexible and inelastic, uh, but the demand determines the price. The demand determines the price. And if the demand disappears because people go to superior substitutes, then the price will go down to its fundamental value, which happens to be zero. Okay. Um, Hong, I'll let you respond to that. Uh, Professor Henke made a point that Bitcoin doesn't generate any cash flow, and so that's one of his assumptions for why the fundamental value of, of, of this asset is zero, because it doesn't generate cash flow. Uh, do you agree with this statement? Is it true no, that Bitcoin I- doesn't generate cash flow? Yeah, I actually uh, want to respond to uh, Professor Henke's point uh, in, uh, on several aspects. Um, Professor Henke talked about fundamental value, which I 
uh, actually agree with. I think when we think about a uh, a price of a uh, you know a, a future price of a quote unquote asset class, we want to think about what the utility of that asset. Yeah, is it something that generate cash flow and then should be valued in in terms of you know, discounted cash flow, or is it something that is more providing utility that's not driving cash flow, but certain utility that people just want it. As a result of that, it, the value of that should be uh, put in the framework of a supply and demand uh, framework. And I think in Bitcoin's case, it is the latter, right? It's not generating cash flow. It is, it is a supply demand play. It is the best store of value so that if many people, depending on how many people actually see it as the best store of value, when, when that size of the population changes, the supply and demand dynamics changes that will drive the change of the uh, the price. Now, what I do believe in is that when you look at Bitcoin versus all the other competitors out there as a store of value, either historically uh, or in fiat world or in crypto uh, world, there's no other asset uh, or <clears throat> whatever format that you can think of that offer more superior uh, attributes than Bitcoin. So the second point that I, you know, intrigued me in uh, Professor Hankey's comment just now is that he, when he mentioned uh, the supply and demand and acknowledged the the change of supply and demand will drive the price of Bitcoin, he mentioned that there may be other assets in crypto world that may come up with more superior attributes that may drive Bitcoin out of this uh, competition. And I don't agree with that, at, le- at least not now. Um, I, I don't see any other assets that in crypto that can actually offer more than what, what Bitcoin can offer at this point. Um, you know, there have been forks out of Bitcoin, but those failed. And when uh, and the other thing is, when you think about uh, 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 store of value, when you think about the consensus forming around that, and ultimately as a monetary network, there is a there is a significant network. Uh, effect there, you know, depending because, you know, back to Professor Saivadin, uh, 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 comment, it is a, it's almost like a game theory. When you think about a, it's, you know, either historically gold or silver or any other uh, project uh, commodity as serving as a uh, store of value or Bitcoin serving as a uh, store of value, it depends on how you think other people will think of this as a potential lasting, durable store of value. Uh, and, and there is a network effect. And the longer Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoins uh, play out, the larger the networks uh, becomes in, in a total market cap, the harder uh, for the competitor to come up and challenge it. It has to be not just two times better, not just 10 times better, it has to be 100 times better, just yeah. like what Bitcoin has been doing with fiat currency, with gold. It is 100 times better. Uh, it is a native internet money, uh, native store of value to the internet. That's what makes it so special. And it takes out government, uh, central banks hand totally, totally like zero, sep- like absolute separation of money and state. That's uh, what makes it so special. Okay. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Amos, I have a question oh. for you. But before I let you, uh, before I answer, uh, sorry, before I ask you the question, I'd like to give uh, Steve a chance to just respond directly to Hong's comments. Well, well, uh, the the one thing that there there are a number of things that could be said, but the the main thing is there there are seven characteristics of of great currencies, and and uh, Bitcoin just doesn't fit the bill. If you go back, I, I studied these things 
the dominant currencies for 2,500 years. There have been 14 great currencies, and, and the network effects are very important, obviously. Uh, the average length of life of each one of these is about 200 years. Well, Bitcoin hasn't been around long enough to say anything about its store of value. So that assertion is kind of ridiculous on the face of it. The, the one thing that we do know is that gold, there is something called the golden constant. Roy Jostrom's book is titled The Golden Constant. And from 1560 up until the present, Gold has been something that holds its purchasing power over long periods of time. There, there are variations and volatilities, but if you look at the ratio of wholesale prices over the price of gold price, the gold price, it's, it's about one. That thing stays pretty constant over hundreds of years. So, so we have a long test there when we're talking about store of value, store of value, holding purchasing power. Gold has, has, in fact, stood the test of time. Now, what are these seven characteristics? Well, one is the size of the transactions domain. And the size of the transactions domain for Bitcoin is tiny. It, it's not used for anything. It, this is a pure speculative asset. It's, you have to look at the greater fool's theory of speculation to figure out what's going on. And that is, you can buy it today, it, its value is what it is, and if you think it's going higher, you buy. If you think it's going lower, you would sell the thing short. So where it's going, no, no one really knows. I have no, no idea where, where the thing hung might be exactly right. <laughs> it's going to 100000 per unit in the short run. But the, the second thing that is required out of these seven characteristics, stability of monetary policy. Three, absence of any kind of controls. Four, strength of the issuing state, because all of great currencies have actually been issued by states. And five, until 1971, there was always a fallback factor. In other words, the, the current, the great currency was issued, but it could be convertible usually into gold or, or, or silver in some cases. And the sixth thing is that there's some sense of permanence. In other words, you can price deferred payments or long-term contracts in what, whatever this is. It has to be a unit of account. It's reliable, and as a result of that, interest rates are low when denominated, denominating contracts in these things. Mm -hmm. So all of these normal things that have been associated with every great currency for the last 2,500 years, you just can't check the box on Bitcoin. It, it, it just doesn't happen. Okay. It is uh a speculative asset, and you have to think, in terms of uh, a speculative asset in which the greater fool's theory is is the name of the game. And, and you're talking about something like the South Sea bubble or the Mississippi bubble of 300 years ago in the 1720s. Okay. That, that's what's going on. It okay. might go a lot higher. Okay. It might uh, go a lot lower. Okay. And, 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 by the way, 
I I can design a superior crypto. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that in just one second, uh, Dr. Henke, uh, your uh, your alternative crypto. Uh, Dr. Amos, let's uh, give you a chance to respond. So I guess two questions now. First of all, uh, Hong and, and Professor Henke have both given their their targets for what Bitcoin should be trading at. What is your what is your fundamental value target? Uh, is there one for you? Yeah, and David, in response to David, David, I don't have a target. I this is a speculative asset that I have absolutely no target about. But as superior alternatives come in, and they will, entry is very easy. Forget the networking thing. Mm-hmm. Entry is very easy if you come up with a superior one. The demand for Bitcoin will dry up, and it's, it'll go down to almost nothing. Okay, I see. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Emos, your response? Well, my question is, we've already had 12 years of uh, supposedly superior alternative coming on uh, and entering the market. There are thousands of digital currencies other than Bitcoin. Not only have they failed to replace Bitcoin, they've also all failed at getting to 10% of Bitcoin's liquidity size. This is, I think that there's no comparison between Bitcoin and other digital currencies in any meaningful sense. They've they, they've failed to challenge it at all, and Bitcoin has just been continuously growing for 12 years at 200%. So the question that I have here is, there, you know, there comes a point at which Bitcoin is bigger than the U.S. dollar. There comes a point at which Bitcoin is bigger than the global bond market. If more people have money in Bitcoin than the bond market, you know, imagine $100 trillion being held in Bitcoin. Currently, we're at $1 trillion, but imagine it goes up another 100-fold. That is probably bigger than the global bond market. Now, it doesn't have to satisfy your textbook definitions of what makes a great currency because that refers to the currencies of governments issued in the analog world. It has to win the test of the market, and you have to think about it as a market good out there competing for people buying it. So if more people buy it and we end up with more people holding Bitcoin than government bonds, you know, doesn't matter if it uh, fulfills your criteria in your textbook it's already become a store of value bigger than bonds. So my question to Professor Hanke is, you know, if, it's, if it goes up to $5 million of Bitcoin, it's bigger than the bonds. Would you then consider that, okay, maybe it has a little bit of value itself to the $100 trillion worth of, uh, to the people holding $100 trillion worth of it? If it's $100 billion and that's the market value, that's what it's worth. There's no question about it. All I'm saying, and you're missing the point in these definitions, it is not a currency, period. That's the end of the story. I listed, I haven't listed all 14. I'm not going to go back to the Greeks and go through every currency. I was talking about great currencies, great international currencies that satisfy the definition of a currency. I wasn't talking about a speculative asset. And if the price goes up and the and the value is exceeds the total value of all bonds outstanding in the world, that is the value of, of whatever Bitcoin or, or the crypto is. That, that's that is the objective value. That's the would point. You still, and, would and you still think the fundamental value is zero? Pardon? Would you still say the fundamental value is zero? The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safedean.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, 
which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. Yeah, the fun, the fun, unless there's some uses that it, that it, that, that ultimately show up and the thing starts being people, used for to buy $100 trillion worth of Bitcoin. There's 7 billion people around the world holding $100 trillion worth of Bitcoin. That sounds pretty useful to me. They must have a reason for holding it. No, it's they do. They're speculating. It's a speculative market and a speculative you asset. Just, you say that like it's a bad word, but everything you do is speculation. I'm not saying it's like it's a bad word. I think speculation is a wonderful word. I okay. spent most of my career speculating in foreign exchange and commodities, equities, and bonds. So I, I don't need lessons on whether speculation is good or bad. Dr. Amos, I'd like to draw uh, draw your attention to a comment that uh, federal Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has recently made this week in his testimony. He said that crypto assets are highly volatile and therefore not useful as a store of value. He said it is a speculative asset that is essentially a substitute for gold rather than for the dollar. What assumptions is Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell making here? And do you agree with his statement? I think, you know, he's probably correct to the extent of his own preference. He seems to prefer currencies that lose value steadily over time with general predictability to currencies that gain value with some volatility. And I think, you know, uh, there are different flavors of ice cream in the world and there are different kinds of currencies. And the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it's now offering us a free market test. We're watching all those national currencies built on the idea that they need to lose value every couple of years to stimulate the economy grow. We're watching them up against the currency that gains value. So, you know, Powell is welcome to hold whichever he wants, but I think uh, you know, the market shows Bitcoin has appreciated 200% on average every year over the last 10 years. I think, you know, Professor Hanke and Professor Powell need to be asking themselves a little bit more about what is it that people see in this thing? Why has it not been displaced by all the other cryptocurrencies? And I think the point that I'd like to make to Professor Hanke is when you were mentioning the specifications of a great currency, Bitcoin effectively has one that substitutes for most of them which is the fact that nobody controls it. Nobody can change the supply. It's been 12 years, it's a trillion dollars, and nobody has figured out a way to make more Bitcoin, more than what is originally scheduled. So this is the first thing that is truly scarce. And this is what distinguishes Bitcoin from the other currencies because none of them has demonstrated the degree of immutability that Bitcoin has, which assures everybody in Bitcoin that they can be 100% certain almost 
that there's never going to be more Bitcoin made. You can't get that kind of security from any of the other networks. And I think this is, this is a very, very important point about what gives Bitcoin value. Dr. Emerson, I have one more follow-up question for you. You're currently living in Lebanon where you experience and can observe very high levels of inflation. Now, if I were to present to you options for hedging inflation, let's say gold, Bitcoin, stocks, um, government-issued bonds, for example, what would be your preferred instrument to protect yourself from inflation with? I mean, well, I'm not living in Lebanon anymore, but my preferred instrument would be Bitcoin because I think, you know, the, the important characteristics of money, uh, the important characteristic of money is saleability. It's the degree to which you can sell it without it losing its value. And I think in Bitcoin's case, there are two parameters for saleability. Saleability across time, the ability of money to hold on to its value across time, and saleability across space, the ability to move money across space. And I think Bitcoin wins hands down compared to fiat currencies and the gold in that regard. Its ability to hold on to value across time is very good, and it's outstanding, it's 200% appreciation a year. But it's also very cheap to send halfway across the world. And this is when people talk about Bitcoin not having utility. You can sell, send money from the U.S. to China in a couple of hours without having to use any of the uh, national uh, government uh, inf in infrastructure and institutions like the central bank. And this is an enormous, enormous uh, advantage, which places in Lebanon, you know, they're beginning to see the value of that because the dollar might be great and it's more acceptable than Bitcoin in a place like Lebanon, but you can't send the dollar abroad because the banks won't let you. The banks are closed. There's capital controls and there's all kinds of problems. Bitcoin gets around that. Mm -hmm. well, on, on Lebanon, David, let, let me just make a remark because sure. it's something I follow hour by hour. Uh, actually, in the last year, the Lebanese pound has shed 81% of its value. And, and today, I just measured the inflation rate. It's 378% per year. They are hyperinflating. They started hyperinflating in July. But this gets to the point about Bitcoin versus the dollar and use and utility. Everyone in, wants what in Lebanon? They want dollars. Everyone around the world does, and this is a utility. Almost all commodities traded in the world are invoiced and priced in dollars. 40% of all trade, all trade, manufacturers, commodities, everything else, are priced in dollars. 60% of all central bank reserves are in dollars. 90% of every foreign exchange transaction has a dollar on one side of the trade. So in terms of use and use value, the, the dollar is the great currency. It is the international currency. Mm -hmm. All this Bitcoin talk, uh, it, it's, it's a minor footnote in terms of utility and use. There must be a price at which you would have to, uh, you know, if, if, if you think it's small, then it has to be able, you have to be able to name a price at which you would admit that it's no longer small, it's no longer a footnote, because it is much bigger than it was last year in Lebanon. It's not as big as the dollar yet, but it's much bigger than what it was last year. So if the trend continues, you know, at what level would you admit that, the, you know, this is just something that people can use? It works. It does what it says on the tin. You can send it across the world and it maintains its supply. It takes time. When Elon Musk first started to invent electricity car, people in the traditional uh, auto industry think that that was just a joke, a footnote. 
but now Tesla is probably is the most valuable auto company in the world. So it takes time, and when the paradigm shifts, it, it comes slowly and then suddenly. But I'd like to ask Professor Hanke to specify a price at which Bitcoin becomes big enough for him to stop saying it has a fundamental well, value. Well, you, you just measure the measurements that I've given you, the dimensions that I've given you. So Bitcoin is currently... In other words, how many commodities, when are we going to start pricing oil and Bitcoin? When are we pricing corn? When are we pricing wheat? Okay, that's a commodities. When are we going to start pricing cars and manufactured goods and bitcoin when when you're talking about the speculative aggregate moving this thing around i'm talking about the uses of it in transactions it is actually being used in transactions dr Hanke. it's probably just not as visible to us in u.s than to other people living in different uh, regimes where inflation is super, uh, is, is taking away their health. For example, in Latin America, there are a lot of uh, uh, actually uh, commercial uh, uh, entities uh, in, in their export uh, business. For example, with Asia, they're selling, selling commodities to Asia. They yep. transact in Bitcoin. This and is peanuts. This is, this in is settled in Bitcoin. This is an <laughs> academic footnote the dollar dominates all of these transactions yeah but you know the british pound dominated at some point and it doesn't anymore just because it does it won't he doesn't mean that's that's exactly my point about entry of a competitor a superior competitor and the u.s dollar became superior after world war one and drove the british Mm -hmm. pound sterling to the sidelines i think as someone who uh Let's say embraces the idea of digital currencies, which I do, and I think that is the future in cryptos. The question is, why? What kind of superior product would be desirable? And I think a currency board type crypto would be. Now, Facebook with Libra tried this, but they they had no no one on the team obviously understood currencies very well and how these things work. It turns out I've established four currency boards in my life. One in Estonia in 1992. They they didn't even have a constitution that had been approved yet in June of 1992. We established what? We established the the Estonian kroon with a currency board backed 100% with reserves. We did the same thing in Lithuania in 1994. We did the same thing in Bulgaria in 1997 when they were facing a raging hyperinflation with monthly inflation peaking out at 242% a month. We installed a currency board. And Bosnia and Herzegovina wiped out my civil war in 1997. In August, we established the currency board. All these things work. There are no preconditions. You simply, the currency board does issue a liability. That's whatever the local currency or whatever you call it. It could be a private currency. Mm -hmm. I'm advocating now private currency boards. So you issue a liability and that liability is backed with 100% reserves of some anchor asset and the 
local asset or asset issued by the currency board trades at a fixed exchange rate that's freely convertible with no restrictions to the anchor. Mm-hmm. And, and Ooh, that, they're that, called stablecoins. They're out there. They're they, done. They, they don't exactly. work. Uh, they haven't been audited. They, they've had all kinds of problems. And, and that's precisely why they have not been able to, to nudge. They, they have reduced the market share of Bitcoin, but they haven't really been able to put it out of the market and compete. They're very inferior. And, and we had a stillbirth with uh, the Libra. The Libra white paper actually did mention the words currency board. But it, but it, it, it was a false start. It, it, okay. it was improperly done. And I think if one was done right uh, or others were done right, they could be very competitive with, with Bitcoin and w- would, in fact, be superior, actually. I have a few more questions. Uh, Hong, I will let you talk about other forms of cryptocurrencies. But uh, Dr. Amos, uh, let's talk about um, the Bitcoin standard. So um, a, a currency regime backed by cryptocurrencies, is this possible? Could it happen? I think so. I think um, Professor Hank is, uh, is stuck at the mental hurdle of thinking of currency purely within the nation-state central bank paradigm. And I think I, I, I'd love them to just make the leap of imagining that we've gotten software now that gets around the central bank, gets around the need for a currency board, and just establishes market value, allows market value to accumulate into a free market good that is controlled by nobody. It's, it's, it's not a good that is physical, it is digital. And, but you know, uh, if I take your computer right now and I return it in the same physical form, but I erase all the files of it, that won't have the same value for you, that computer, right? It's still physically the same, but the digital stuff on it is where you have value. So we can attach value to digital things. What Bitcoin does is that it allows us to replace the bottom layer of central banking and central banks and currency boards with a protocol that is set in digital stone, effectively, and you know has demonstrated incredible credibility in maintaining its supply and in maintaining the integrity of the network over 12 years. So the question then becomes: It's it, it you know you don't need a currency board for Bitcoin because it would defeat the entire point because then you have a bunch of people who control it and those people can abuse the authority because they can always issue more liabilities than they have. Bitcoin prevents that possibility entirely. Instead, what we are going to be getting is Bitcoin replacing the currency boards and the central banks, and then we're going to build second layer solutions like the stable coins and like the currency boards and like commercial banking backed by the Bitcoin base layer. Okay. Well, uh, what, you say, what you say about the currency board, it really isn't right. That, that's te- Technically, you've got things all mixed up. A currency board is not a central bank. It's something completely different. Right. And you could have, by the way, what I've been advocating, and that is a gold-backed currency board with gold as the anchor. Now, who, who issued the liability of gold? Who's issuing that? Whose liability is gold? It's nobody's. I w- yeah, let, yeah, let, I, let Hong, I, uh, follow up Hong on respond it. here. Yeah, uh, because I think there are a couple of uh, uh, things that we have discussed back and forth. But I would like to actually go back to almost like take a first principle uh, mentality. And uh, and Dr. Hanke, I, I uh, commend you on um, your track record of setting up a currency board historically and ha- ha- making that 
uh, valuable uh, to you know the, the people in those countries that have suffered superinflation. Um, one thing, one question I would like uh, to ask you to think about, uh, and you know, is wh- why would the currency board succeed, right, compared to some of those local currencies? And also, when you talk about the list of um, uh, good currency standards for a good currency or solid currency. I, I heard that you mentioned something that I think is very interesting and actually crucial. You mentioned something that's called monetary policy stability. I think that is really important. That is actually the key point. When Powell was talking about Bitcoin's volatility, um, I think he's mixing up with the price volatility and the monetary policy stability. I think whenever we talk with historically, when people like chose people around the world who have been chosen uh, gold as the store of value historically before sovereign currency come up came up, that's because gold is more um, predictable, right? That level of predictability in its monetary policy is what is driving its success historically. And and when you think about uh, all the uh, currency board that has been successful. And those, they, they have been successful because they have been more predictable than those local currencies issued by local central banks who have no discipline in their monetary policy. Hong, it is totally unpredictable. Hong, uh, Professor Hankey talked about superior forms of cryptocurrencies that would one day dethrone Bitcoin and drive its price down. Do these currencies already exist? Are there alternative coins out there that you see fitting this definition? No, no, no. There is no superior form currently that is more superior than Bitcoin. That is more predictable. That is verifiable. Uh, actually, Dr. Kent Han- Hankey was talking about the uh, potentially creating a currency board that is more superior than Bitcoin, uh, maybe pegging against gold. How it? How verifiable is that? Bitcoin is a network that is P2P, that sensitive, uh, uh, censorship resistant. Anyone, if you are, are interested in setting up a node and check it out, you can check it out. You can verify it. It's verifiable uh, to ev- anyone, everyone in the world, right? How can that be done for gold? You have to have a third party uh, running the reserve, checking it, and have then invite other third parties like auditors and, and legal counsels to verify that. There are a lot of uh, potential points of failure in that process. But in Bitcoin, there is no single point of failure. That is what has been making it super uh, uh, exciting and different and unique and superior to all the other alternatives that we have in our traditional mindset. And again, I agree with Dr. Seifedin on the comment that when you're talking about the currency criteria, those are our currencies issued by government, issued by central banks. But that's a, an assumption. That's not a given. Like in our history of monetary usage for human beings, uh, n- not all the civilizations are using currency issued by central banks, issued by the government. Mm-hmm. Gold at, at, uh, for a long time is not issued by any government or bank. It was later taken by the government uh, as kind of the reserve and, and, and asked uh, the you know, people not to use it uh, okay. other than being a reserve, right? Well, not, so, not, but, not, not, I remember not we, we had, we had yeah, private banking. The unit, the unit of account was... was uh, it was something that was in, indicated or uh, established by a government, but the the issue of private money was very common. So it, it, what you're saying is just not correct. 
There was there was a lot of private money and private issue. Those money. private monies are issued by third parties, by individuals, either an individual person or individual organization. In Bitcoin's case, no third party has been issuing it or controlling the supply or managing the the management of it. It's it's all run on a protocol, like Professor Sabatin was saying. It was run on the open source protocol. Everybody can see it. Everybody who are interested enough to learn about it can go actually and run the node. Anybody who are interested in doing it can actually build on top of it. Um, so, you know, it's very different. There is no single point of failure. We're taking mm-hmm. away. You keep saying that. What, that happened? What, happened with the, what happened with the, the various scandals that have popped up like Mt. Gox and so forth? What, how do you classify that? Wasn't that a, wasn't that a failure? What, what was you say that this is a fail-safe system? Yeah, Dr. Amos, ha- I'll let you respond. I, guess I, I, I respond if I if I pick pocket if I pick your pocket and I take your wallet and I take five hundred dollars out of it. That's not a failure of the U.S. Federal Reserve Central Bank. The five hundred dollars are still working as intended. So uh, when we talk about Bitcoin not being uh, not failing and not being attacked. The protocol itself has not validated a single fraudulent transaction in 12 years of running. Now, real transactions were done on the network where somebody managed to take somebody else's keys and effectively stole their money. That, that, is, a, that is a feature in all money. If you can own it, it can be taken away from you. And so, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin cannot remove theft from human nature. That will always be the case. And as long as Bitcoin has ownership, it can be stolen. And uh, but, you know, the network itself continues to operate. So that's why I think, you know, it functions better. Uh, it's better understood as a base layer for financial settlement uh, layers and solutions that will be built on top of it. OK, uh, yeah, I have I one. Fin- monetary. Yeah. I just want to emphasize again that monetary policy stability is really the key. Uh, and I, I would okay. I would ask. Well, yeah, Dr. I, 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 I disagree. I disagree with that because we, we have a stable, inelastic supply of Bitcoin. And that by definition means that as the demand fluctuates, the price will fluctuate and you'll have, it's an unstable system. It isn't a stable system, it's an unstable system because the supply, the, the supply curve is completely inelastic, ultimately. But ultimately and as a result of that, uh, as a result of that, the only, process by which any adjustment can take place is is the price so the price the price will be very volatile I have one you final about price in nomination of US dollar or any other fiat okay, I, I have uh, one final topic that I'd like to address uh, and uh, I, just, please, I, I just really need to make one small uh, answer sure, to this. Yeah, you go ahead great one last point we'll have to move on yeah Jastrom's book, The Golden Constant. Gold developed the most constant value over time and did that for centuries, as discussed in that book. But you look at gold's supply, it also didn't have a currency board. It also didn't have a monetary policy where somebody was practicing you know, monetary supply in order to stabilize the price of gold. In fact, what gave gold that stability was the fact that it had the lowest, least elasticity of supply response to demand. Gold is the one good whose supply increases the least every year because it doesn't corrode. So gold uh, that has been produced over thousands of years is accumulating. And so marginal production is always very tiny. Because marginal new production is always tiny compared to the stockpiles, 
That's what gave gold its stability because its market is predominantly a monetary market and very little demand for industry and for uh, and very little impact of mining. So Bitcoin actually improves on that because it has a terminal growth rate of zero. So it should actually in time become better gold than gold in this regard. And I, I don't I, I think, you know, volatility is going to be with us for a while because Bitcoin is still very small and it's going to grow. But I think, you know, that before we get to the point where we can use Bitcoin to buy our coffee, we need, there is an enormous stage to, to cross first, which is people need to build cash balances in Bitcoin so that they can trade other goods with Bitcoin. But we're nowhere near that. The total amount of cash balances in Bitcoin are less than 1% of total cash balances in the world. But as it grows, I think we're going to see more of that. So I think, you know, from now until the point where you can buy your coffee with Bitcoin, there is an enormous, enormous opportunity of essentially a new asset monetizing that could eat up bonds and could eat up all kinds of other stores of value that people are using. So, you know, you, you, you'll get your uh, stability to buy coffee at a price of Bitcoin, maybe $1 million or $5 million. So, you know, you're, you're welcome to sit it out and wait out until then, or you can buy Bitcoins now, speculating on the fact that this is going to happen. And if you are correct, you know, it, it includes, it, it, it will be massively rewarding in the long run. Okay, I have one final topic and I'll let you uh, go first, Dr. Amos, because that was a good segue. Uh, the concept of central bank-backed digital currency. Now, this is being issued in some places already. The Federal Reserve in the U.S. has not indicated they are doing this immediately. Do we need a digital, digital currency, a, 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 unit, a national unit of account backed by digital currency? What would be the motivations of implementing such a, such a, um, a concept? Dr. Amos? I think, you know, central banks, um, the, their motivation is going to be to continue to do what are their uh, main priorities and tasks, which is managing monetary supply and controlling payment clearance. So if they do build their central bank digital currencies, they're going to be digital, but they're going to miss the most important characteristics that make Bitcoin important, which is that Bitcoin's monetary policy transparent is transparent and payment clearance is automated by uh, cryptography. So central banks cannot do this because it would defeat their entire purpose. They can't just replace their monetary policy with a strict code that they leave alone. That's not what they were meant to be made. So for my, in, in my mind, what central bank digital currencies are going to do are going to lead to more efficient, more effective surveillance by central banks and more effective inflation by central banks. And so they're going to make national currencies um, less useful as a store of value in the long run. And uh, I think ultimately they're going to serve as advertisements for Bitcoin's value proposition. I, I think that's the long run effect of it. When people realize the difference between what their central bank is giving them versus Bitcoin, uh, I think that's going to be an enormous advertisement for Bitcoin. Hong, what are your thoughts on CBDC and what do you think is the future of digital currencies as an asset class? Uh, on CBDC, my point of view is the same with Dr. Amos. I don't have anything additional to add. I think it's uh, it's a combination, the worst of the two worlds. <laughs> Let's see what happens. So you don't but, think it's a good idea? Well, it can help. Uh, it can help adoption. It can help promote awareness of digital currency. Uh, but but uh, but it misses the most important point and actually uh, um, essential. Uh, strengthen the, 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 the bad part of the um, currency system. Okay. And Dr. Uh, 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 Professor Hanke, I'll let you have the last word. 
uh, should central banks adopt Bitcoin or any other form of cryptocurrencies as a national unit of account? Oh, no. The, the, uh, and the confusion that's been brought in here about currency boards, by the way, currency boards, let me say unambiguously, they have no monetary policy. They have an exchange rate policy. They exchange one asset for another asset at a fixed exchange rate. That, and, and it's credible because the anchor asset that they hold covers the full valuation of any liability that they issue. So they're, they're completely credible, but they, they are not. More liability. Until they're, they issue more liabilities. No. Uh, they, they can't issue more liabilities until they have 100% of the anchor currency as, or asset as a reserve. So, so they have no monetary policy. You're just confused about this. You don't no, understand. I think you're, you're underestimating uh, what I'm trying to say here. It's, it's, the fact that they stick to redemption is a monetary policy. So the fact that they continue to redeem it and they don't issue more no, liability no, 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 they have, no, that is a monetary policy. No, that's not a monetary policy. It's an exchange policy, but not a monetary policy. Yeah, but the president yeah. can put a gun to the head of the chief of the currency board and they can make more money to finance a war or to finance some new hospital building or something like that. And so you're back at square one. With no, Bitcoin, no, that no, exist. You, no, you aren't. The only way they could do that is if they brought in the anchor currency and exchanged it for whatever was being issued as a liability by the currency board. They cannot engage in monetary policy. You just do not understand the mechanism. So there's, 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 there's the mechanism not can be broken and it can be replaced okay. and it can be changed. I think, I think Dr. Hanke, what you're saying is in a monetary board, uh, uh, there is no mon uh, sovereign monetary policy because you're looking for free of ca uh, free capital flow and also fixed exchange rate, right? So you have to give up sovereign monetary policy, i.e. the monetary policy for a uh, monetary board is actually the, the uh, monetary policy of the anchored assets. For example, if you're using gold to anchor it, that's that's the monetary policy of the gold that that's actually being no, used. They, they, you, not, not not really good at Hong Kong and, and figure out how the thing works and and you'll see that the quantity of Hong Kong dollars in circulation is strictly a matter of the demand for Hong Kong dollars in the in that sense it's just exactly like Bitcoin. Okay, it's the demand the quantity of the issue of a currency from a currency board is strictly a function of only one thing and that's the demand for that currency that that's not what bitcoin is like we have to that uh, determines the quantity of the currency that's in circulation there is no monetary policy uh we have to we have to end it there because that's all the time we have but uh i think you all got your points across Thank you very much for your time. That was a, that, that was a great talk. Hong, uh, Dr. Emos, and Professor, Professor Hanke, thank you all for participating and being on the show with us. Thank you for having us. I hope to speak with all of you individually again very soon. Thank you.